We're back. It's Engage Magazine on American Family Radio. Walker, we got Tim Barton on right now. We're discussing the importance of Christians being involved in politics and how easy it is. In fact, I'll give you just a quick story. Um, it had to do with the, the refugees crisis and, and the immigration policy and stuff. And I had a Christian friend of mine, loves the Lord, is, would give you the shirt off his back, really passionate about sharing Christ. And somewhere along the line, uh, we, we had a huge disagreement. Uh, the, or I say huge. We had a, there was a clear disagreement. Right. And uh, what I believe the role is of government and immigration as far as the borders mm-hmm. and the walls set up, and uh, then he had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've written about that on our, which is one of the things that led me to write the th- uh, three facts that we need to know about immigration. And it's up on Engage Magazine. Out there. So we're having this dis- disagreement. But the, the, all that to say that in the midst of our disagreement, he said, Wesley, don't you understand? Separation of church and state. And right. so that was the premise and the root of his argument, which if that's all you knew and that's what you thought it meant to mm-hmm. him, there was supposed to be a uh, difference there in a separation. Sure. Have you, have you yeah. had a conversation like that, Walker? Yeah, well, well, I, I haven't had a conversation, but you see the conversations that take place, you know, especially on television news shows, uh, that folks o- argue really just, it's really an open borders argument yes. in the sense that who are you to say who can come in and out of this country? Yeah. Um, but what folks have to We're understand— We're all immigrants, right? I'm tongue-in-cheek right, there. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> We're all immigrants, and that is true. There has to be um, rules. But And I'll let Tim expand on this more, but what I just have to say quickly is that it's the role of government, even in Scripture and in the Constitution of the United States, to protect its citizenry, citizenry. And that is people who are here legally and who are naturalized in the United States, the government's primary role is to protect them— and then if they would like to go above and beyond and maybe help others outside of this country, that's also there also. Well, Tim, you can elaborate a little bit on that topic if you'd like, but we want to get to the question eventually of how do we respond to those people, like I mentioned, who do use separation of church and state. Now, they may use it because they're lazy and they don't want to be involved, but some may use it because of past. They want to feel like, you know, we're supposed to be doing the—they want to They want to act like the gospel is a separate thing, as if we don't live that out in other areas or aspects of our life, as if they compartmentalize it, apartmentalize it. What would, how, or there's some people that are just uneducated on this topic. Sure. How, how, how would we respond to them? And you'll have a great article up on your, on your website. Yeah, we do have a couple articles on our website that, that deal very exclusively with the, the topic and the issue of the separation of church and state. And, and you know, too, just as, as you guys are mentioning, you have conversations with people, and, and they keep throwing this phrase out there. And really, I mean, it, it, it almost reminds me of, like, Prince's Bride, when he says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> right? Like, they're saying something, it's like, you, you guys, you don't even know what you're talking about right here. When, it, if you remember just recently, there was the, the driver... In, in, in Arkansas, and they, the Arkansas State Capitol puts up a display of the Ten Commandments, and this guy says, hey, I'm a Christian, and, and I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Ten Commandments, but I also believe in the constitutional separation of church and state, therefore we can't have a display of the Ten Commandments, so he throws his car and drive, and he knocks down the Ten Commandments at the State Capitol. Well, you said it's because the Constitution guarantees the separation of church and state, you have no idea what you're talking about, but this is where most Americans are, because we've been told, well, the Constitution, that's what guarantees it. Well, I always want to ask, hey, where in the Constitution does it say separation of church and state? And, and, and generally, 
people will finally figure out, well, it's in the Bill of Rights. And I say, okay, great. In, in the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, it has five protections, five things it protects. It protects religion, and it protects speech, and, and, and right, you can go, go through the list of the five things. The most significant thing, and, and just to the point of our discussion, is, is religion is the first thing it protects. But when you read a section on, on religion, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So if, if that's what the First Amendment's really about, is making sure that Congress can't tell us we all have to be one religion or one denomination, and Congress can never interfere with our religious practices, explain to me where there's a separation of church and state. Or, by the way, the First Amendment, the only group it, it limits, it says Congress shall make no law. So explain to me how a student wanting to have a prayer or mention God in their graduation speech, and they're told they can't do that, separation of church and state, explain to me how Congress shall make no law equals a student shall not utter God at graduation. Well, that's how far we've come. The First Amendment doesn't even say separation of church and state, which most Americans don't know, because most Americans think it does. But it goes back, the separation of church and state, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the history of it. And the history of it was during the Dark Ages. We went from two separate institutions of government and the church, and the king said, we're just going to have one, because really all we need, I'm the king, I'll run the church, I'll do all things religious, and I'll then control government as well. Well, then you have the reformers come along, and the first call for the removal of government from church affairs was the Reverend Richard Hooker in 1590. He said, we need a separation of the church from the commonwealth. He says the commonwealth should no longer be able to tell the church what to do. We want to do what the Bible says. And then really, that was the push of the early reformers, is let's go back and just do what the Bible says. Let's read the Bible. And this That's wasn't a good popular start. in the era of the kings. Because most of what the kings were doing was not biblical, and so the reformers pointed that out. And, and that's why many of the reformers were punished and executed and exiled and all the things that happened to them, because they were pointing out what the king was doing was unbiblical. But, but this was the reason that many, many immigrants left Europe and came to America was because under the kings, they were going through religious persecution. So they come to America looking for religious liberty, looking for religious freedom, well, this is the concept the Founding Fathers have when they actually do the Constitution, when they do the Bill of Rights, because they say in, in the first clause of the First Amendment that Congress can't make a law respecting an establishment of religion. Now, remember, in Europe, you had the Anglican establishment, you had the Catholic establishment, you had every nation had their establishment of religion, and they said in America, we're not going to compel and coerce everybody to be one religion, one denomination. And then they said, and we will not allow Congress to prohibit their free exercise. Now, now, that's the foundation of it. Well, the reason today that people think separation of church and state is because that letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote, which we also have an article that, that goes into the letter from Thomas Jefferson, but in this letter, Thomas Jefferson says that there is an eternal wall of separation between church and state. Well, the wall Jefferson was talking about it and actually wrote about it in this letter, which, again, you can go on the website and read the entirety of the letter, you actually can just do a Google search, and the letter will pull up. But Jefferson is telling a church in Connecticut you don't need to worry about the government interfering and in, in stopping any of your religious practices because there is a wall that separates you, that shelters the church from the interference of government. But a lot of people today think, well, that also means the church can't get involved in government. The, the, the thing I love about having original documents is I can go back and point to original documents. As you know, prior to 1815, so, so the era of the Founding Fathers, prior to 1815, there's over 1,400 official government calls to prayer. 
and, and from presidents, wow. from governors, from Congress, and that includes President George Washington. It includes President John Adams. It includes Thomas Jefferson as governor. It includes John Hancock when he was president of Congress and he's governor of Massachusetts and Sam Adams governor. All these incredible founding fathers as government leaders are calling the nation to pray, to prayer and fasting and prayer and thanksgiving. They were not anti-God. You know, that's the most... Today, you know, you're not, you know, you're exactly right. That's the one of my favorite parts about having the original documents. We can all give our opinions on things, but when we go back to the original intent, that's my favorite part about y'all's program. Is that what? That's exactly what y'all do when we discuss the Constitution or when y'all go through that. Now, uh, you're listening. For those that are listening, I also want to, uh, Tim. You may know this already, but this program is designated and set aside. We do all that we can to make this applicable for the millennials because this we got a lot of different divisions and programs underneath the AFA and AFOR banner, but what we do uh, for different purposes, and they try to reach different audiences, but this program we're trying to reach the millennials and having discussions that I've had that I mentioned earlier about the confusion on this topic is why I was really passionate about having you on, having Walker on, and us discussing this topic. So for all the content that we've mentioned, I've taken a note here. I will have it posted on uh, Engage Facebook. I'll have it posted on the show notes page under our podcast on EngageMagazine.net. So I know those that are listening, they're either driving or got the podcast up and they're exercising. Don't worry about writing all these notes down. And, and It may be overwhelming all at once, but I will have the links to all these, and we'll even link over to Wall Builders. Dot com. That's wallbuilders.com, and we'll have all the content there. So let's get back to the topic. We've got about six minutes left. Walker, I think you had a question. Yeah, Tim, I want to kind of delve into the judiciary and the role it plays in the Constitution. You know, it seems when you look at, at negative things that are happening when it comes to the Constitution and the way people are construing it, the judiciary seems to have played a large part in that because I look at Congress and laws when you get into the laws that have been passed by U.S. Congress, there's there's not that many that are that are contrary or contradict the U.S. Constitution original intent. More so, you see the judiciary contradicting the U.S. Constitution and original intent. Would you say that's the case? That's exactly right, guys. That you know, when you look at the judiciary today, a lot of people look at at. at the judges as the one that make laws. In fact, I was recently in Washington, D.C. I was leading a tour group and, and, and a couple interesting stories from that. One of them, we went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S., if you can go to their website, they say that, that the U.S. Supreme Court is a building from which all the law of the land emanates, meaning that all law comes from the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, wait a second. Why do we elect Congress? Because the Constitution says that Congress shall have the power to make law, not not the not or not the the U.S. Supreme Court. Not the courts don't do that. But today is what we think. We think the courts are the ones that determine law. The courts give us law, and 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 the courts really still overstep their boundaries. And the ones that are supposed to keep the judges accountable is Congress. But because congressmen don't even know the Constitution, most congressmen, most Americans have never read the Constitution, much less the Federalist Papers or commentaries in the Constitution. So we really just don't even know what it says. And, and so because of that. We allow judges to do things they were never intended to do. In fact, if you read the Constitution, you know the one thing it talks about with judges more than any other topic is impeaching bad judges. Well, when's the last time you heard of a judge being impeached? That's, you know, a, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, seven times in the Constitution it talks about impeaching bad officials. 
And and today, well, well, you, I mean, you, you only teach somebody if you know if, if he's a mass murderer, right? Like you, you got to be a really, really bad person. Well, for the founding fathers, you know, they actually impeached the judge because he said a curse word in the courtroom. They impeached impeached the judge because he got drunk in his private life. Yeah. Now, if you remember a couple years ago, during the State of the Union, Justice Ginsburg got drunk and fell asleep during Obama's speech. And, and I don't just, that's not a, subject, a subjective thought. She actually mm-hmm. tweeted the next morning, when, because people were going, why did you fall asleep? She tweeted, I guess I just had too much to drink before the State of the Union. So by her own admission, mm-hmm. she got drunk and passed out in public. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and the founding fathers impeached the judge for getting drunk in his private life. Today, we just have no concept of of what the Constitution says, of the power it gives the people, of the power it gives Congress, and of the way it limits judges. We just don't know that today. Yeah, you're exactly right. And which leads me to say, and I want and what I want to get you to comment on, or what I want to want you to do before I make my comment, or after I make my comment, and that is, I want you to give us a final charge for the engaged audience and give us some application to this stuff we talked about. But before you do that, I want to add that for the audience that's listening here, if you're like me, the first time you're hearing all this new information, you're thinking, either either you're starting off thinking, well, I don't know, that just can't be, and then you and then you may go to transition to, well, if that is true, what do I do about it? Let me tell you this much: there is a great, great product that we sell at the AFAStore.net as well as sold on WallBuilders.com, and that's Constitutional Live by Rick Green. And uh, David Barton, which is Tim Barton's dad, they do a great job. They have two. They have a version of a DVD with the workbook, and they also have the CD version. All comes in one package, so I can pop that disc in my uh, truck, and I can listen to it as I drive. And they have all this content plus more. And it's not something like you're getting right now, where we just dump it all on you like a fire hose, and then we walk away. This is original content that you can get, and you can listen to over and over again. Well, it looks like we've actually run out of time. You got about 10 seconds. Give us a charge. Proverbs says that righteousness exalts a nation, but that means that we that believe in righteousness have to promote it for this nation to be exalted. And that's where, as Christians, that's why you have to get involved to promote righteousness. Praise God. Thank you so much, Tim, for being a part of this program. Well, that's all the time we got for today. Keep sharing truth and applying scripture.